Welcome back. It's good to see everybody back this afternoon, this evening. Didn't scare anybody off. Nobody got lost. Nobody got lost. Miss Pam didn't have to go into work, so Brother Bob made it. Just <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. We are going to be back in the book of John. Uh, John chapter 9 is where we're going to pick up. Last week we saw Christ uh, finish his teaching in the temple at this setting, uh, and he taught in such a way that it angered the crowd to the point that they were picking up stones to stone him. And Christ, uh, through God's power, was able to walk out through the midst of them unharmed. And um, this week uh, we're going to see him exiting and Immediately as he exits the temple, he's going to reach out to a helpless, uh, blind, and unfortunate man. And uh, it is just a blessing to my heart to see that no matter where Christ is, no matter what is going on in his life, one, he is in complete control of the situation, and two, uh, he is always right there ready uh, to help out with whatever needs to be done. So John chapter 9 and verse number 1 is where we're going to start. And the Bible says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind with clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seen. Let's pray. Father God, again, we love you. We thank you for your love and your care for us. Lord, we pray that you would be with the Shendels. We pray that you would give them comfort, give them wisdom as they prepare uh, make preparations for Miss Mary's funeral. And <clears throat> Lord, we pray that uh, her homegoing celebration would be uh, an honor and glory to you as her life tried to be. So God, please uh, speak to us tonight. Let us hear your truth. Let us see your word, not just uh, in our eyes, Lord, but in our hearts. Let it mold us and shape us and create in us the men and women that you would have us to be. Let us, by faith, walk this walk. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, <clears throat> chapter 8 and verse number 59 ends with, and so passed by. And chapter 9 and verse number 1 set, begins with, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. I believe that as soon as Christ left the temple, uh, this man was outside the temple. The temple was the place for the halt, the lame, the lame, the blind, for those that are differently abled or disabled, uh, to be, to seek alms from people. This was the place where people would go to worship, where they would be most likely to provide uh, help to these unfortunate people. So I believe that there's not a stretch, it's not a stretch of the imagination to think that as Christ is leaving, he sees this man who is blind from birth and has compassion on him, and wants to help. And his disciples ask him the question. They say, who did sin, this man or his parents? But we have to notice as we are dealing with this, as we're looking at this, that this 
is different than most of the cases where Jesus helped somebody. Most of the miracles that Jesus performed, most of the healings, uh, aside from Christ going uh, and uh, touching the, the funeral buyer as, as the, the widow is burying her only son, uh, this is one of the few cases where people didn't seek Christ. This blind man didn't know that Christ was there. He didn't go seek him. Christ went to the blind man. He didn't ask to be healed. Even when Christ made himself known, he didn't ask to be healed. He just simply came when he was called and he did what he was told. The Bible tells us that he'd been blind from birth. He knew nothing else. It's interesting how many times uh, people that who have become disabled or uh, differently abled as a child or from birth really don't know the difference. Uh, I think of my friend Sarah lives outside of town. She's got uh, Down syndrome. Uh, when I knew her in school, she was the happiest person in the world. She always had a smile on her face. She didn't know she was different. Um, our friend Zach, DJ and Lucy's son, he didn't know that he was any different. He just lived his life. But so many times, people who, are, uh, who become disabled, they go into... Uh, in an older age or, or in a, as a, a knowing what they're missing out on, they become disheartened. They become, uh, they wish, they remember what they had and they wish they could go back to that. These people, they literally don't know what they're missing out because they've never had it. I believe this blind man was in that case. Now he still had to go and he had to, to seek help. He was, there was not, uh, Braille had not been invented at this point. Uh, the things that would help people of this nature throughout to be able to perform, uh, to be able to live, were not there. So he still had to seek help from others. But he didn't know what he was missing. This man was content because he didn't know that something was wrong. He didn't know there was a fence, let alone greener grass on the other side of it, as we saw this morning. This is how our lives should be and could be if we would focus on God and his blessings rather than the world around us. Peter, <clears throat> we've talked about it before uh, here in the book of John and several other times since, but Peter, as they're going through the storm and Christ comes to them walking on the water, Peter reaches out and, and begs or, or asks Christ, if it's really you, bid me to come on the water. And he steps out as Christ bid him. He steps out into the water and he walks on the water. For however brief a moment, in the middle of this storm, he is performing a great miracle. It wasn't until he looked away from Christ and saw the wind and the waves that he began to sink. It wasn't until he looked away that he knew there was something wrong. We have to focus completely on God. The reason many times that we go through the valleys that we go through the hard times is because that's where things grow. That's where we have to be to see Christ. If we would just see him in everything, we wouldn't necessarily have to go through those hard times. Christ's disciples asked the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? Of course, it's the wrong question, but 
we have to understand that in this day and age, they believed that every ailment was some form of punishment. They believed that every time somebody had something wrong with them, that it was because they were being punished by God. So they immediately went to, well, was this man born in sin? Is this, this man from the womb a sinner? Now, we know that we all are sinners. We are all born with that sin nature. But they actually believed that uh, the baby in the womb could sin, that it could have a sin life and not be right. They want to know who it was, whose fault. They're searching, trying to figure out with everything that's going on in the world, with everything that Christ has done, everything he's been teaching, they're trying to make it all connect with their limited knowledge. And they're searching for an answer. They had just seen Christ send all out of the room as the, the woman was brought in adultery and, and Christ opened their eyes and showed them the light of their own souls to see that they were all sinners and could not cast the first stone. So they're trying to connect all of these dots. And they want to know whose fault it was. Now, this physical ailment was brought into existence by the sin of Adam and Eve. Blindness would never have entered into this world if it hadn't been for the sin in the garden of Adam, Adam and Eve. Diabetes would have never entered into this world if it hadn't been for the sin in the garden of Adam and Eve. Cerebral palsy. All of the ailments that we have, the reason that we ache, the reason that, that we're sick, all of these things, COVID-19 would have never existed if it hadn't been for the sin in the garden of Adam and Eve. But Jesus explained that this man was not, his ailment was not because of sin. This specific man and many more like him, his ailment was brought on so the power of God could be seen. This is a great example for us, not only for our physical ailments, but also for the various other storms in our lives. You see, when we, most of the time, when a Christian goes through a storm, they automatically think, what have I done? Or what has my wife done? What, is, what have my children done? What, what has brought on this storm? And they forget that the majority of the times, well, every time that I can think of, that the disciples went through a storm, they went through it because they were following Christ's command. Not because they were in sin and disobedience, but because Christ sent them into the middle of that storm. Every time they went through a storm, it wasn't, it was to help them grow, to help their faith grow, to help them become closer with Christ. But it was also to help those around them to see God. They asked the wrong question. Christ lovingly points out that again, this man's sin or this man's illness was not brought on by sin, but it was made manifest by God so that God could be manifest in him. So the world could see Christ's power. If we had that perspective in everything, it would change the way we live. If we looked at every storm, every trial, every ailment in our lives as an opportunity to have 
to show honor and glory to God, to show his power, to show his love, his mercy, and his grace, it would change the way everything happened. Many times in our lives, storms come even when we're following God and when we're doing it perfectly, or at least as perfectly as we can. I, I think of when we left and went on the road as builders. And, you know, we are on our way from Arkansas to Texas for our first project. We've stepped out by faith and we are just leaving it all to God. And we pull off of the interstate in Oklahoma to take the last 60 miles of back roads to get to Wellington, Texas. And as I'm going down the on-ramp or the off-ramp, I have no brakes. I'm pulling a really heavy load and I have no brakes and there's a stop sign coming and there's somebody in front of me. Thankfully, uh, I had the brakes on the trailer. Now, the reason that I didn't have any brakes was because the truck was rusted out because it hadn't been taken care of. The brake line had rusted through. I had lost everything on the interstate. But God got us through all of that. God got us to Wellington safe and sound. He got us started with the project and he was able to allow uh, myself and the other builder that were there to go and witness to the mayor who was the, the mechanic in town. That we, there's, we never saw that man again the whole time we were there. We were there for three months. We never saw him again. He never darkened the doors of the church. But because my brakes went out, we were in his shop witnessing to him on an evening after he fixed my truck. Job was touched by Satan not because he was wicked and evil, but rather because he was perfect and upright and walked with God. His troubles were brought on because his wife and his friends needed to know and understand who God was. I'm not saying that our problems are never our fault. But what I am saying is that don't just assume that it's a punishment. Instead of asking what I did wrong in a storm, ask what God wants to accomplish through the storm. And then even if it is because you've done wrong, because you've sinned, it'll change your perspective and your attitude. The storm will be over a lot quicker. Because we're seeking the Lord for the answer. Christ continues to say that uh, he has to work while it is day. Now this is kind of a departure. It, it's, it's not confusing, but it is just interesting how the Lord chooses to lead through these things. He's found this man that is blind and he's teaching about him and then he says he must work while it is day. In verse number three, or sorry, verse number four, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Christ here is explaining the urgency of what he needs to do. But notice here that he uses the word must. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. It wasn't an option. It was mandatory. Now, this isn't a popular teaching in our circles, but we need to understand that true salvation makes service mandatory. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that 
service is mandatory for salvation. I'm saying salvation mandates service. When you truly understand what Christ has done for you, when you truly, with a grateful heart, see your wicked, evil self and understand that He has paid His blood for you, it should give you a grateful heart. It should give you that attitude of gratitude that mandates that you serve Him out of love, out of respect, out of a heart desiring with every little bit that you can to pay back whatever he's done, knowing that you never will, but that that's what he deserves. Christ must work while it is day. Now, this is also because work in that time was much easier in the daylight. They didn't have all of the lights that could make darkness day like we do now. I mean, we drove, uh, Highway 30 is just now open, but um, many times when they do a project like that, they will shut down overnight. But when you drive by, it looks like daylight with all of the lights that are up and so that they can see. Often work that is done at night is accompanied by many bright lights that simulate daylight. Factory work. All those lights are because people have to be able to see what they're doing. Just like the blind man, it's very hard to work when you can't see. But Christ reminds his disciples that night is coming. This next thought is not because it is almost nighttime. It's not because the day is winding on and it's getting late. It's because he's giving prophecy. Night is coming is a threefold prophecy. It was first fulfilled as the sun was darkened during Christ's crucifixion. We know that as Christ was hanging on the cross, when he cried, it is finished, that the sun was darkened in the middle of the day. It became night. He is also speaking of that time after the rapture, known as the tribulation period, where for seven years there will be no representation of God at all on this earth. Christ has said over and over again in this teaching that he is the light of the world, and he'll say it again in verse number five. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It is only through him that we can truly see and understand our state. But at that time, when the rapture happens, all light will be removed. Christ will no longer, Christ is no longer on this earth, but the Holy Spirit will leave in every believer, and there will be no representation of God. If you think that the world is bad now, when there are still believers on this earth, I can only imagine how evil and wicked it will be when no one has any thought of God. The third fulfillment of this prophecy will come after the millennial reign when the judge or when the world is judged, excuse me, as we learned in our Wednesday evening uh, discipleship lessons, the saved will go to the judgment seat of Christ and the lost to the great white throne judgment. The result of that great white throne judgment is, is an eternity apart from God in a lake of fire where there's constant wailing and gnashing of teeth, where there's no relief from pain. The complete absence of the light of the world, God will not be there. 
Christ reminds them, I am the light of the world. Christ again teaches his disciples that he is the light of the world. And since before the creation of the earth, there was light from God. We know in Genesis 1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's just go back there. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And the light, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Skip ahead a few verses and God creates the sun and the moon. The sun to rule over the the day, to provide light. And the moon to reflect the light, to rule over the night. These are all pictures of Christ. But again, this is not only history, but this is prophecy. Not only is Christ currently the light of the world during, was he the light of the world during his time here on earth, but he is currently the light of the world through the believers that he indwells, through the Holy Spirit. But after the judgment seat of Christ, when all are saved, when all the saved are put to the, are put in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no need for the sun, S-U-N, because the sun, S-O-N, will ever be present. He will light heaven. There will never be darkness again. He will be the light of the world. Christ now goes back to the man that was found blind, that was born that way, and he begins to deal with him. Verse number six says, When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and he made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind the blind man with the clay. He spits on the ground and and makes clay. He puts the mixture on the man's eyes and sends him to the pool to wash. This for me brings to mind Genesis 2.47. Genesis 2.47 is the description of uh, God creating man. Sorry, not 2.47. Um... Two seven, I think. Yes, two seven. I tried to read what I'd written in my Bible, and I, my handwriting is horrible. Genesis two and verse seven, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man was formed of the dust of the ground. Science will confirm that the minerals that make up our bodies are exactly the same as those found in the dirt outside. It also confirms that most defects are caused either by a lack or an excess of those same minerals. Most of the ailments that are wrong with us, almost all of them are caused by a lack or an excess of some mineral. 
something in our life. However, the brightest minds in the world cannot figure out how to spot or correct those imbalances that cause these severe abnormalities. They have studied for years trying to figure out how to correct things like Down syndrome, things like blindness, and they can't do it because they're not the creator. Only the creator God has the power to fix the defects. Jeremiah 18 Jeremiah 18 and verse number 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with this as this potter, or with you as this potter? saith the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you ye in the hand, in mine hand, O house of Israel. God created us. He formed us. He formed us the way that we are on purpose. And he's the only one that can fix us if he chooses. This man just needed a little more clay. Only God knows the exact formula. As we've talked many times. I learned how to cook from my grandmother. And uh, she never measured. It was always, how much do you put in that? Oh, just about, yeah. Little of this, little of that. Just till it tastes right. Till it looks right. Only the Creator knows the exact formula. This is also why it's important for us to understand that God is perfect and makes no mistakes. So if you have an abnormality, it's because that is exactly how God wanted you to be. Now I'm not talking about abnormalities because of mutilation like tattoos or body modification, but medical issues, even cancer and other maladies are allowed into our lives because like Job, God wants to shine through us during that storm. Knowing this will drastically change your outlook. The man is then instructed to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is interpreted as scent. Now, this again seems like an insignificant thing. But if this is taking place at the temple where I believe it is, the pool of Siloam is miles away in the farthest south, southern part of the city. It wasn't like he was walking over to the bathtub or to the sink here in the house to wash his face. He had to travel. This is where his faith is shown. Remember, he didn't ask Christ to heal him. He didn't seek Jesus. Jesus took matters into his own hands, and then this man had to choose by faith to trust him. He had just put mud all over this man's face, but now he's expected to go to the pool and wash on top of being blind. Now, we don't know exactly where he started. But again, typically, people sat at the temple gates to beg for alms. This was the most profitable, profitable place. This was the hot spot. 
this would have been a difficult journey for even a seeing man, let alone a blind man unless he had help. In any case, the Bible tells us that he left and he returned seeing his faith had made him whole. Now all of this was done to bring God honor and glory. To manifest God's power here on earth. To show his mercy and his grace. We'll read next week about all those that witness this miracle and what happens afterwards. But today I want to focus on Christ. I believe that this happened immediately after the attempted stoning right outside the temple. There are no time words in verse, found in verse number 1. It just follows up chapter 8 and verse number 59. Verse number 59 with, ends with, so passed by, and chapter 9, verse number 1, starts with, as Jesus passed by. If this happened as I believe it did, Christ is showing all those who would seek to harm him that he is in complete control. I mean, after all, they had stones in their hands ready to kill him, and he walked through the midst of them without harm. He's taught over and over again that it is not his time. He shows in John in the garden, as they come to seek him, his power, as he says, I am he, and they all fall down flat. He is in complete control. He is proving to his disciples and us that even in the middle of of a storm when our lives are in danger, there are still others who need our help and our witness. How easily would it have been for Christ to just run away, leaving those who were seeking to kill him in the dust, not thinking of anyone else, not thinking of anyone but himself? Most of the movies, when the hero is in danger, he runs out and runs into somebody, causing them more pain. And then just flees. That's not Christ. But this is how Satan has taught us to act. When we're hurting, we need to take care of ourselves. It needs to be me first. That's not Christ's recipe. That's not God's plan. That recipe is found in the world word joy. Serve Jesus by serving others, and he will take care of you. When we have that right perspective on our storms, we can see and understand that the captain is in control, and we need only to gather the other little ships that are out there and bring them under his command. The first storm that we saw the disciples in, the Bible tells us that there were other little ships out on the sea with them. They all got to benefit from Christ calming the storm. Now in all of this, I see in this blind man a great picture of all of us. We are born blind to the things of God, waiting for someone to open our eyes. One day someone comes along and tells us truth that can open our eyes and set us free, and we have a choice to either make the difficult journey to wash the clay from our eyes or leave in disbelief and despair, remaining blind. Far too many of us have chosen to remain blind.
but even in us, in those of us that our eyes have been opened, that we are saved, that we are disciples trying to live for God, we still are blinded to most of His truth. This truth today will have one or two, one of two consequences. It will either enlighten us and change our lives, or it will harden our hearts and cause us to despair. Both of those are a choice. We've been talking about choices a lot today, a lot this last couple of weeks, because that's what it boils down to. We have to choose. We have to choose to either faithfully take the next step and follow God or do nothing and in disbelief let this truth go away. What's your choice today?